Let's open our Bibles together to Mark chapter 10. Today we continue in our series in the Gospel of Mark. We are well over halfway at this point, and we have a short passage in which Jesus gives us some instruction, and let's pray as we turn. Father, help us today. We ask by the power of your Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are receptive. God, we pray that you would continue to grow us and shape us and conform us to the likeness of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Every kid you have is a Ferrari you don't. (laughs) Brian confidently proclaimed this truth. He was smart, he was brash, he was 20. (laughs) He was a hard worker, he had limited verbal skills, he was good looking, and his chief goal in life was to be rich. Brian proclaimed that after college he would start his career, he would get married to the prettiest girl that he could find, and they would absolutely not have children. Because every kid you have is a Ferrari you don't. In 2023, CBS News and Northwestern Mutual Financial Services indicated the average cost of raising a child in the United States of America between the age of birth and 18 is somewhere between 240000 and $332,000 without a college education. The cheapest new Ferrari in 2024 is the Ferrari Portofino M. It has an MSRP of $231,000. You can go up to the next level, and it's, it's actually a much more attractive vehicle, Ferrari 296 GTB, which is about $340,000, and the cost goes up to there well into the millions, but $230,000 to $340,000. Just about the cost of raising a child. Turns out Brian was right. Every kid you have is a Ferrari you don't. Kids and Ferraris cost about the same amount of money in today's economy. What happened to old Brian? and his desire for Ferraris. Well, he married that cute little blonde girl that he was chasing at 22 years old, and within a couple years or so, the Lord gave them twins. (laughs) After that, at least one more came down the line, and to my knowledge, to this day, he doesn't have a Ferrari. (laughs) You know, the value of children extends way beyond the cost or way beyond what they contribute. And as Christians, we believe that children have inherent value because they're made in the image of God. However, it might surprise you that not all cultures through all times valued children as much as we do. It's especially true in the ancient world. Ancient pagan cultures even sacrificed their children as burnt offerings to foreign gods. The Greeks exploited their children sexually. 
And even though the Jews had an infinitely higher understanding of the value of children than the cultures around them because they believed that children were a gift from the Lord, and even the Old Testament gives us a number of examples of barren women who are heartbroken and pleading with God to give them children, still, for many, childhood was simply viewed as that unavoidable interim between birth and adulthood, which, for the Jews, was when a boy reached the age of 13. And as a result, children had little or no standing in society. And yet, even Though they had no standing, there were parents that certainly wanted the best for them. And so periodically they would bring their children to the rabbi to receive a blessing. And that's where our text today in Mark chapter 10 picks up. It's a short passage starting at verse 13. It says this. It says they, being just the people of the town, were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Verse 13 tells us that upon hearing that Jesus was in the area and having learned of the magnificent things that he had been doing, the people of the village brought their children to the rabbi, Jesus, requesting a blessing. These children were probably anywhere from the age of birth to the age of 12 years old. And Mark, in his typical fashion, doesn't really give us any more details than that. He doesn't tell us how many children there are. He doesn't tell me if there's anything wrong with them, because those details weren't all that important. I mean, as you can imagine, Jesus and his disciples were in one place for a little bit of time, and a wide variety of people would come to see him. They would seek his wisdom Important conversations needed to be had. Town officials wanted advice. Religious leaders sought debate. Sick and demon-possessed people wanted to be delivered or healed. Jesus was important. And his time was valuable. And his disciples took it upon themselves to protect the rabbi and to protect his time because the pressures were only increasing. And as a result, in the estimation of some well-meaning disciples, these were just kids. These were the underclass of society. They weren't worth the time for Jesus to see them. And so they sent the children away. Verse 14 says, when Jesus saw what was happening, he was indignant with them. And he said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. He was indignant 
The word might not be strong enough. That word has a root to be grieved, but not just grieved, deeply grieved. Deeply grieved combined with anger is the feeling that Jesus had. And this angry grief directed toward the disciples was because they were shielding him from the kids. And it points to something about Jesus. It points to the very simple fact that Jesus loves children. (laughs) Throughout his ministry, he celebrated children. He welcomed children to himself. In Luke 11, 11, he speaks of a father's desire to give good gifts to his children. And then he equates that to how God's desire is to give good gifts to us who are his children through faith. In John 16, 21, Jesus uses children as the example of coming into the world in great difficulty of childbirth. But children, he says, are an example of joy coming into the world. And Jesus performed many miracles upon children. Just here in the Gospel of Mark, working backwards from where we are today, we see in the previous chapter, chapter 9, Jesus casts a demon out of a boy. In Mark 7, he casts a demon out of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. In Mark 5, he heals Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, even from the point of death. And those are just a couple examples here in this Gospel alone. Jesus loves children. But Jesus' reaction to the disciples regarding children not only indicates that he loves them, but it also indicates that children have the spiritual capacity for faith. You might not think that's true. Because sometimes it's hard to decipher whether or not the verbal expression of a child is genuine faith is sometimes difficult to discern, and other times it's actually very easy to discern. It can be difficult because in the mind of a child and in the process of development, they experience so many different things, and they change their mind so many different times. Ask your own children what their favorite food is today, and it might be different than it was last week. Ask them what they want to be when they grow up, and one day it's a janitor, and the next day it's a pizza delivery guy. That was me, by the way. And the next day, it's a professional athlete. Sometimes they like this, other times they like that. They sometimes might claim, even as a child, to believe in Jesus, to love God, to be a Christian. And then later to hate God or to be an atheist or vice versa. They may claim as a child that they want to be the ruler of their own life, but then later surrender that very same life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know this. It's all part of learning and growing and maturing, and figuring things out as we go. But just because it can be difficult at times to see if a child becomes a Christian, it doesn't mean that they don't have spiritual capacity. Children can indeed come to faith in Jesus. Ali Famia keeps 
an Amazon branded speaker in the room of her son so that he can listen to lullabies. And she had no idea how comfortable her toddler had become with the speaker. And in footage on her video monitor, she overheard a conversation that her son was having with Alexa. Having woken up in the middle of the night, the little boy turns to the wall and says, Alexa, which turns the speaker on. And then he says, I need daddy. Now Alexa is listening, and she replies with, what should I add? And the toddler replies, daddy. We're going to guess that he was hoping that Alexa was going to go get his dad. And maybe he wanted dad so he could get another glass of water before he fell asleep, or maybe he wanted another bedtime story. Or maybe he was just employing one of those old procrastination techniques that kids are very good at. But nevertheless, he had a need. And Alexa then hilariously replied, we've added daddy to your shopping list. Is there anything else? (laughs) And the little boy replied, um, no. So he had posted the video on TikTok, which had nearly 4 million views, because as you can imagine, the interaction between a child in its basic desire and need and a little machine speaker was absolutely hilarious and adorable. I mean, who knows what exactly Alexa put into the shopping list on that day, but the whole incident points to the fact that even children know that in the moment of need, they can call upon their daddy who cares for them. And even children know that they can call on their heavenly father in their moment of need who loves loves them and cares for them deeply. Children have the capacity to call out to their heavenly father to come to faith. Now, that's one of the many reasons why we devote a significant amount of our resources here at Old North Church to staffing and programming and facilitating ministry to the age group between the ages of birth and 18. We have five full-time staff members related to that segment of our church ministry. On Sunday morning alone, there are 70 of you who volunteer to serve in ministering to children. Throughout the course of the week, there are another 69 people who volunteer to serve the Lord by ministering to children and students on a weekly basis. That's amazing. Nearly 140 people who are devoting themselves to the Lord by serving the little ones from birth to the age of 18 to teach them the things about God, to help to raise them up in the faith because they have spiritual capacity in their own way. 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to the young pastor Timothy, and he talks about this sort of lineage of faith that happens in his family. And he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. 
But when Jesus says in verse 14, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God, he isn't just referring to children. He's inviting all, all who, like children, have low or no status. He's inviting the ones you wouldn't expect. He's inviting the ones the world overlooks. He's inviting the ones that you don't think qualify. To such belongs the kingdom, he says. You see, Jesus at this part of the Gospel of Mark is flipping the whole cultural expression and the cultural expectation on its head. He just elevated the status of women in the previous section as he told their husbands to stop divorcing them. That's not the Christian way to do things. It was all too easy for them to do it before. Before that, he had warned against causing the weak and vulnerable to sin, those that nobody cares about. Further back, he invited the father and son to believe in him, even though the son was overtaken by demons. Jesus invites the very ones who are seemingly defined by the fact that the devil has a grasp on their soul and on their life, and he invites them to himself. Further back than that, he went to the Hellenistic Jews, all the Jews that were Jewish by birth, but not living like Jews. These were the traitor Jews, the ones that he should be dismissing, and he invites them into faith in the kingdom. And even before that, he goes to all the Gentiles, the unclean ones. The God-haters. The oppressors of God's people. And he invites them to come to faith. The message, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel, was a message and an invitation to every kind of person. Even the people that society didn't think should apply. You can see now where this starts to get a little closer to home because it might be painful for us to consider those that are either looked down upon because of what they've done or of a lower social status because of where they've come from in our society. Those that we might be tempted to think Jesus wouldn't invite to come to faith because they don't deserve it. It's not too hard to think about some categories of people and who they might be. Perhaps the high school dropout. Jesus even invites that person to faith. Or the teen mom. Jesus invites her to faith, or the guy who works at the gas station, Jesus welcomes him, or the forgotten widow in the nursing home, the woman who had an abortion, or the dad who abandoned his family. Jesus invites them, the foreign exchange student who doesn't communicate too well, or maybe even the illegal immigrant. We're meddling now. 
Jesus even invites them into the kingdom through faith. To such belongs the kingdom of God, he says. You know, children also model how all of us come to faith. Did you know that? Verses 15 and 16, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. And so then the question becomes, how does a child receive the kingdom? And the answer is not that they receive the kingdom in innocence, as you might expect. Because even though children may be more innocent in the ways of the world than adults, they are not more innocent before God. In fact, children, if they have a spiritual capacity for faith, as we have said, then we know that they also have the spiritual capacity to sin. And it's probably a lot earlier than most of us want to admit. Any one of you who has a child or grandchildren sees this on display with some regularity. It's not innocence that he's talking about. It's also not an overly simplistic lack of thinking that he's talking about. Children receive the kingdom in helplessness. Children are completely dependent on their parents to provide for them. This is why when one of your young children attempts to exercise their independence in rebellion against you and in a temper tantrum, they shout out in rage, I'm running away. Your answer is don't let the door hit you in the butt on the way out. And as they storm out into the front yard, you lock it behind them. Because you know that 99% of the time, they will stop before they reach the end of the driveway. And they'll come sulking back. And there's a lesson to be learned there. Because once they've stood in the yard and they've looked out at the big bad world in front of them and they have to consider their options, they realize, even if they can't articulate it, I'm helpless. Without parents, they won't survive. Children need you to provide them shelter, to give them food, to buy them clothing, to teach them the ways of the world, to keep them alive. They are dependent and they're helpless. And so is the person who enters the kingdom of God. There's absolutely nothing you can do to get there. You're helpless. There's nothing you can bring to make God let you in. We are helpless before him. We simply come to him by grace. 
God's grace plus absolutely nothing is the way you enter his kingdom. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus welcomes the helpless to come to him in faith. And you know, one of the biggest obstacles to people coming to faith in Jesus, people entering the kingdom of God, is their sense of self-importance or self-contribution. Reputation, pride, independence, it all stands in opposition to the idea of being helpless. I don't want to be thought of as weak. I don't want to be seen as weak. And I certainly don't want to admit to myself that I'm helpless. But Jesus welcomes not the strong, not the competent. He welcomes the helpless to come to him in faith. And so there's the principle for you. And the question that's begged is, how do you attempt to come to God? (laughs) What do you bring? Are you willing to admit that you have nothing to bring? And if so, are you willing to surrender, surrender, surrender to him as one who is helpless. First Peter 5, Peter writes, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Jesus welcomes the helpless to come to him in faith. Near the end of the Civil War, there's a touching scene that showed the gentleness and the tenderness of President Abraham Lincoln. While he was visiting near the battle lines, Lincoln noticed three kittens who had lost their mother. Moved by their meowing, he picked them up and began to comfort them. And Lincoln said, poor little creatures, don't cry. You'll be taken good care of. To an officer, the president added, Colonel, I hope you will see that these poor little motherless waifs are given plenty of milk and treated kindly. And the colonel replied, I will see, Mr. President, that they are taken in charge of the cook of our mess and well cared for. One of the officers on the scene said it was a curious sight at an army headquarters upon the eve of a great military crisis in the nation's history to see the hand which had affixed the signature to the Emancipation Proclamation and had signed the commissions of all the army men who served in the cause of the Union, tenderly caressing three stray kittens. Lincoln's biographer, John Meacham, adds, it was not only curious, it was revealing. In the midst of carnage, fresh from a battlefield strewn with corpses of those he had ordered into the battle, 
Lincoln was seeking some kind of affirmation of life, some evidence of innocence, some sense of kindness. And amid the cruelty, the orphaned kittens were a small thing, (laughs) but they were there. And his focus on their welfare was a passing human moment in the vast drama. Similarly, in the midst of the spiritual battlefield, in the midst of angels and demons and spirits and powers and principalities and the coming of a cosmic kingdom of God that will last for all eternity, when the helpless cry out to their Savior, he takes us in his hand and ensures that we will be well cared for. Do you know that you are helpless (laughs) before God? Only then will the invitation of the kingdom be to you. Jesus welcomes the helpless to come to faith in him. I pray that is your understanding of yourself and that you respond to the invitation that he gives. Let's pray. Father, we confess that in our time, there is not one among us who wishes to be seen as weak or needy or helpless, and yet that is our exact state before you. Help us to know it and to feel it. Help us to see clearly the magnificence of who you are and to see ourselves appropriately in light of your glory. God, for my brothers and sisters who have resisted to this day, putting their faith in the Savior, uh, I even pray now, Lord, that you would help them to lower the obstacle of self-sufficiency and to see our state of need before you. And we pray that you would meet us in that place with an overwhelming sense of your presence and love and the invitation to follow in faith. We pray in the mighty name of our Savior. Amen.